We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. This episode is brought to you by Untuck It and Axios. So I have this theory, Darius, where any particular basketball season can go about 10 different ways, depending on a handful of factors breaking one way or another. I went into this season thinking this was about a second round playoff team, maybe a Western Conference finalist if things go pretty well, if the brackets and the playoffs break right. And I, I still think that there's some validity to that. But I've also said that Lakers have a puncher's chance, right? Like if certain things happen in certain best case scenario types of ways, and then the Lakers would have the opportunity to win it all. Bro, this feels like one of those years. That That isn't to say that Lakers are going to win it all, but I'm seeing just different elements of the team's personality, if that makes sense, that line up with like, oh, I've seen a lot of good teams and this reminds me of them. The two of which are LeBron looks like the MVP of the NBA right now. He looks like the best player in the NBA. And that is like, look, he's LeBron James. He's the exception to the rule. One of these years, father time is going to catch up with him and is going to win. It happens to everybody. And I don't think going into year number 17, especially after his first major injury of his career, assuming that LeBron was just going to get back to his old self, I don't think that was a guaranteed thing. 
And that's happening. And that's the biggest, most important thing that is breaking right for the Lakers. The other thing, which we've talked a ton about, is Dwight Howard, like, holy crap, who saw this coming? This guy has been amazing. And like, he is legitimately the Lakers' third star right now. And he's a third star in the way that like Draymond Green is a third star, is he's not going to put up huge scoring numbers, but just his impact on the defensive end really allows these wonderful you know, two best players that the Lakers have to, it's a springboard for that, right? And and Dwight's really the leader of this defense, along with the great defense that AD always plays, that LeBron is playing to start the season. But anyway, getting back to the more existential type of stuff, how, how do you feel, man? You've seen as many Laker title teams as I have. What are you, like, do you pick up similar vibes like I do? Or are you more on the, like, I'm just going to, analyze like I'm just analyzing what I see rather than what I feel well I think it's a little bit of both I am definitely in sort of wait and see mode I am optimistic by nature but I'm also typically that optimism skews a little bit more towards cautiousness I think that that usually shows in my writing or in my general analysis so you you know you mentioned Dwight Howard for for example it's seven games in right now and a good preseason but it's been seven games like I want to see some semblance of this like after 20 or 25 games like I'm not doubting that he can do that I just want to see it for a little bit longer do do you have Tyson Chandler fears like remember Tyson Chandler was really good for like 10 games I would argue Dwight's been better but do you think that there's a possibility that it's similar with Dwight where just the gas tank gets to empty at some point I'm not sure you, you know Chandler was never the level of player that Dwight was. Mm -hmm. So I feel like on certain levels, the floor that Dwight is starting at is already like higher than what Chandler's was, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So, but there is a certain amount of, okay, Dwight just hasn't had a consistent run like this in maybe two or three seasons. That, that season in Charlotte, he was good. But to me, his impact was more like box score impact rather than game impact. And I think what we're seeing with the Lakers is real game impact. And that comes from doing some things that Dwight just hasn't done in several years. The way he's moving his feet defensively, the way he's sitting down in his stance. Credit to Dwight for doing those things and for getting in the type of shape that he is right now. And that's what sort of gives me optimism about his ability to sort of play like this for an extended stretch of the season is just, he's in great shape, man. He like, he just looks physically strong and light and fit out there. He's never had this low of an offensive burden either. So I think he's able to conserve his energy for the defensive end and just crashing boards on the offensive end. Like he's setting screens, crashing boards, doing like a dirty work, big man type of guy. And I don't want to act like that. To jump in really quickly, the way I would frame that is a reprioritization of game for him. But he's also never had like two guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis who could allow that. Like every team has always depended on him. No, that's that's 100% true. Although I would say he's never had two, but I mean, He played with James Harden and to a lesser extent, but in terms of the same type of profile, he played with Kemba Walker, right? Kobe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Kobe Bryant and, and on that team, Pau Gasol and yada, yada, yada. Right. So I will say that 
there is with with Dwight to me it comes down to more like the mental side and how he physically holds up both of those things seem to be trending positively right now and that's like just great for the Lakers and and I think that that speaks to the general amount of of optimism that that you're sort of bringing to the first part of the analysis here right to get back to your point about are there sort of bigger things or existential things that I'm seeing with with the team that leads me to think that this could be a potentially special year. To me, one of the things that stood out is the resiliency, Mm -hmm. right? They've been down in multiple games this year. They have played in some tight moments. And honestly, against the Bulls, and the Bulls are not a good team, they were two and five heading into the Lakers game. The Bulls played hard. They hit shots at a level that they hadn't do this season, but the Bulls are not very good. The Lakers were at one point down 17. They were down 17 at halftime, I think. And even at halftime, I thought, okay, that was probably the worst half of basketball for the Lakers this season. Mm-hmm. I still think they can win this game. That was like a real thought I had at that moment. That's important too, because the team will believe that, right? Like they probably came into the season believing that just by the nature of their experiences, LeBron, Dwight, AD, all these guys have come back from major deficits, but it's is different actually going through it with that group of guys, like having a team that always believes, like I, I firmly believe they're going to have to lose a couple of these games where like just to learn that they there is a limit to the degree to which they can kind of screw around for three quarters and they're not going to be able to go on like a freaking 24 to two run in six minutes just whenever they want to. But they need to do it enough to where that belief is always there because there's going to be a point where it's the playoffs in an important game and they're down by eight and the other team has all the momentum like, those are critical junctures of games where if you start to break, that becomes a 16-point lead in the next minute and a half. If you are resilient and if you believe that you can overcome obstacles no matter what, you fight through that and then you can take the momentum back. So what you're pointing out there is very critical and will be more critical not for the Chicago Bills and the Charlotte Hornets of the world, but when the Lakers get into the playoffs. Yeah, I think that in the big picture, it's that sort of resiliency and that metal that they're showing, right? That that sort of guile of let's make a play, let's get a stop. And when you're talking about big picture ideas, the fact that the Lakers are doing this defensively is super encouraging yes. to me for the long-term projection of what they can be. I think coming into the Bulls game, they were in the low or mid-20s in terms of three-point shooting. Besides Avery Bradley and Danny Green, before the Bulls game, there wasn't a single Laker who was shooting even 30% from behind the arc. So there is, to me, a foundation defensively that I think can carry them in a way so that when the offense starts to catch up to things or progress to the norm that this is a team that can be super dangerous. I might feel differently if the Lakers were this, oh, well, they're getting 130, 140 points a night and okay, they may be giving up like 118, but who cares, right? Right. They're still winning games. No, it's the opposite. And I think that trend line is 
much more important to me if it can be sustained. What is it about the defense that you're seeing? Like numbers aside and and all that, just the the nature of this team defensively. I'm seeing certain things. I want to hear yours first about just like kind of how they go about turning the screws on the defensive end. Well, I just think that they're able to pressure on the perimeter in a way the perimeter players are playing with confidence that the big men behind them are going to have their back. And that's super important, man. Like so much of defense is based off of trust, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's trust that the guy behind you is going to rotate, that when I help, someone's going to help me, that everyone's rotations are going to be in lockstep and we're going to make it happen. And if one link in the chain consistently breaks, that dissolves all of the trust. And so one player I would highlight in this is LeBron James, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts about LeBron defensively. So I'll pivot to you in a second, but I'm seeing a guy who is closing out hard, chopping his steps on his closeouts to sort of absorb drives that come in to him. He is standing dudes up off of the dribble when they're trying to get into his chest off of a drive. He is boxing out. He is doing all of the little things. So he is like a key ingredient in the Lakers' defensive resurgence beyond all of the like high-end defensive talent that the team might have in Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and in his own way like a Danny Green. But you talk to me about what you're seeing with this team. Well, let, let's start with LeBron. And then on the other side of the break, we will talk about the team in general. So I'm starting to get over my like, oh, crap, LeBron's playing defense, like just excitement and just being like, all right, well, what is he doing exactly? How is he applying this? So first of all, he's got that understanding of just as he understands how to pick apart a defense, he's leading the NBA in assists right now, one of the great passers of all time. He understands, he's able to do that on offense because he understands how defense works. So he can apply that same concept. It's the same way in which Steve Nash or Larry Bird or Magic Johnson were not great individual defenders, but they were actually really good team defenders because they knew how it worked. And that ability to know how it worked would make up for some of their athletic deficiencies. LeBron doesn't have athletic deficiencies and he has that type of understanding. So you've seen him take a bunch of charges. Like you said, his closeouts have been great. But on top of just that, I know how it's supposed to work. There was a play, he checked back in with about eight and a half minutes left in that game. And he like sprinted over to the scorer's table, right? Like he knew this was our time. The bench had just gone on a run. Lakers were, I think, up by one or two at the point. And he came in and like the first or second play, he blew up this side ball screen, like Markinen or or Carter Jr., someone like that went to set that side ball screen. And LeBron just kept sliding, defensive sliding to his right and put his shoulder into that screen. And it wasn't a foul, but that screen just wasn't there anymore. The other team didn't create an advantage from that. And so then they go into the next action and they try to like kind of reset that ball screen after, you know, one action here or there, basically try to do the same thing. And then he just fights over the top of it. So he's able to blow up a screen and get skinny to get over the top. Like most guys can do one or the other. He Most guys cannot do both. And he's able to do both when he's really locked in like this. I was talking about things breaking right at the beginning of this show. And 
the thing that just keeps coming to mind with LeBron and with Dwight is, will the basketball gods be kind to us from an injury standpoint? And that is one of the ones that remains to be seen. And it's one that can't be answered until the season's over because it can be great for 82 games, great for 12, 15 games into the playoffs. And then the wrong guy goes down. That's how Golden State lost the title last year. Right. Uh, So that remains to be seen, but so far so good. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'll give some of my thoughts on the team on the defensive end as a whole. Unlike most brands, Untuck It shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untuck It shirts always fall at that just right length, no matter his size. So he looks casual and sharp. You ever seen untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy who needs an upgrade. Since they've got over 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Since they've got over 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on guys all shapes and sizes. It can be frustrating when you're looking to find a shirt that fits your frame, but you just can't find anything. But Untuck It takes care of that. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free, button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is super easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. And while we're here, following a team you love in 2019 can be time-consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everywhere in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free. That's sports.axios.com. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try for free at sports.axios.com. So Darius, you were talking about trust and how good defense is based off of all of that. The ways in which that manifests itself are the closeouts from team-wide have been on fire. They've been chasing guys off of the three-point line, and if guys decided to shoot anyway, it's a high hand contesting the, the shot right in a guy's face. So that's part of the reason why they're forcing this fairly low three-point shooting percentage uh, from their opponents is the perimeter players are fully committing. And this is what we talked about earlier that has to happen. But trust is not something where you just meet somebody new and say, or even if you know them kind of like from around the way, as, as a lot of these players do in the NBA, and just say, oh, I trust you. That's just not how trust works. But you close out a couple of times and the guy attacks a closeout and Dwight rotates over 
and blocks the shot or contests it and forces a miss. And then while Dwight's doing that, KCP is dropping down to on Dwight's man to make sure that pass isn't given up. All of a sudden, like not just that perimeter player closing out, but now Dwight trusts more that, hey, if I rotate over here, my guy's not going to get a dunk. And it all builds on itself. The thing that makes me excited about this team defensively is good offense is built around a couple of different things. One is having great players, obviously, right? The second one is how often can you get attacks on the basket within a 24 second span? If you have a great player, but you're only getting one or two credible attacks, like, hey, they could have scored if this would have happened here. Like if you're only getting one or two of those, it's hard. It's hard to score that way. The thing about the Lakers defense that I'm seeing is there were some really good like drive and kick type plays where Chicago made the right pass to the right man at the right time, like four or five different times. Bro, Lakers were on it all four or five times and still forced a shot clock violation. Now it's the Bulls, they're a bad team. Lakers have faced a few of those, but those are high level rotations that matter against anybody. Like it's not about the opponent. That was one thing from coaching that I really learned is like, as I coached more, the less I cared about who we were playing, and it was more about us. And the us here being the Lakers, the way they're defending, man, that translates. No, it's really about habits, man. Like, mm-hmm. the Lakers are showing just great habits defensively. And like I was saying earlier, one of the things that you harken back to, like, the great championship teams, a lot of what we look at with them was oh, they were like such an explosive offensive team, right? Like the Warriors or even those championship heat teams, right? Like Flying Death Machine and how great they were in transition and lob dunks. And those are sort of the images that stick in our mind. We forget, though, that like the Warriors were a top five defensive team all Mm -hmm. during their championship stretch. The Heat were very similarly built to be a top-flight defensive team. And this idea that, you know, yes, it's been two weeks of the season. On the day that we're recording this, the season's literally like 15 days old. The Lakers are second in the league in defensive efficiency. They went into the Bulls game as the number one ranked defense in the league. And That's not a fluke. That's not because the Lakers haven't played good offenses. At the time that the Lakers played the Mavs, they were like third in offensive efficiency. At the time that they played the Spurs, the Spurs were second in uh, defensive efficiency. And they've been putting the screws to these teams. It is just, I don't know, man, like, like there's only so many adjectives and compliments to describe exactly what we're seeing the Lakers do on that end of the floor. They are able to string together stops and then they have such dynamic top end shot creators with LeBron and then on top of that Anthony Davis that they are then able to turn those stops into baskets and things are starting to avalanche on opponents and suddenly it is like a 14-0 run or a 10-2 run or in some of these extreme cases oh is that a 24-3 run right yeah those are serious NBA runs like that's not a normal NBA run No, you can get like, oh, 8-0 coach timeout or, oh, that's a 12 to 5 little burst. The Lakers, though, they are turning games on their heads. Look, the Bulls were completely in control of that game on Tuesday night. It wasn't even a three and a half minute stretch to start the fourth quarter. 
they outscored no. them 14 to zero. <laughs> Bro, they're having runs where like the other team is calling two timeouts and the run is still happening. And then they're like on the verge of a third one. But then the game's just like over or it's like completely different than it was five minutes ago. These aren't normal NBA runs. No, these are the types of runs that sort of like demoralize the opponent and change the tenor of the game completely. And when you were talking earlier, the way we started this pod about like, oh, well, what are you seeing from them that would maybe make you a believer that they can be a top flight team? It's that, right? That is the thing. Like there used to be this idea, like just harken back to the most recent iteration of the Warriors. There were stretches of nearly almost every game where they Steph would hit a three, then Clay, and then Steph and Steph again, and then pocket passed to Draymond, and then lobbed to Iguodala, and suddenly they scored 15 straight points, and opponents did not know what hit them. Like they just didn't know. It mm-hmm. was it was impossible to really get a sense of like where in the hell did the game just go and, the, <laughs> and like and the Heat those great like Heatles teams they would do the same thing like the Lakers are not doing it from this showy offensive explosion sort of way they are this combination of the grit and grind Grizzlies but with LeBron James it's kind <laughs> of weird they are literally taking over significant stretches of games and that is the thing that great teams have now it's seven games in I want to see more of this but in this super small sampling the number of times that they've done this to opponents has to be encouraging to you, right? Oh, bro, it's, you know, bad teams. And this is something that, like, look, we all knew all along that the first 20 games were an easy stretch of the schedule. It's not really about that. Like, yay, they won in Chicago. So what? Right? Like, they're supposed to win in Chicago. I thought they were going to go two and one on this road trip. The one was, I, I did not think Chicago was going to be the one, and that was the one that you came pretty close, although obviously Dallas, they sent it to overtime on a, on a buzzer-beating three. It's not about the opponent. It's about what you're talking about there, that ability to turn it on and the degree to which the floodgates open. There are certain things that need to break right in order to for an NBA season to go the way that you want it to and that it could go, you know, one of 10 different ways depending on those factors. Aside from injuries, are there other things where you kind of like have your eye on that to see if like that, like that needs to break a certain way for us to get to the mountaintop? Yes. Tell me about them. Several things. Look, man, like I'm still worried about some of the guard play with this team. I'm still worried about some of the wing defense, even with like LeBron's anchoring things there and in a way that I didn't really anticipate going into the season. The same flaws that you and I sort of discussed going into the season and where our concerns lied, those things are still there. Let's talk about them one at a time. So guard play, what what specifically about the guard play makes you feel and and what is it that so like we know what these guys are right like Alex Crusoe is not going to turn into Chris Paul scoring elbow jumpers over and over again right like each of these guys we we know the type of player that they are what are the pivot points in which like this element of the guard play needs to go this way in order for them to be good enough to win a title I think that they still need someone to be able to run a credible pick and roll more than like 
one time every 10 to 15 possessions. You, you know who's really important to this team, right? Don't say it, but go ahead and say it. It's Rondo, man. I know. Like, no. and I know. If for exactly that reason, like, look, each guard, uh, I'm going to be working on a piece on this. Each guard in the Lakers rotation has a usefulness. They have times where they're the right guy to play, and they have other times where they are not the right guy to play. Even Alex Caruso, as much as I love his defense, and like we've seen the offensive struggles of Caruso, even if we stand for him, like we see like there are times where it's like, ooh, it's looking a little rough out there on the offensive end. He was two for eight against the Bulls. Like, yeah. he was a plus four, and he was an instrumental player in that comeback. You know, he's shooting like 36%. And that, on the season? That matters. We, we have seen the holes in Quinn Cook's game. KCP, Avery Bradley, Rajon Rondo is, you know, we're aware of his game, even if he hasn't played this year. The thing is, is with the guard play, both the Bulls and the Clippers did one thing similarly that concerns me, is that their ball pressure on the Lakers guards really jammed them up and made it really difficult to get into their offense. For all of the flaws that come with a guy like Rondo, he's a guy that will beat that. If you ball pressure Rondo, he will get into the teeth of the defense, and that's going to usually lead to open shots for other people, if not a layup at the rim for himself. But you can ball pressure Caruso, you can ball pressure Quinn Cook, Avery Bradley, KCP, Danny Green. Most of our guards can't dribble that well, but Rondo can. And the key is going to be, whether it's Rondo or any of the other guards, is can you hide the weakness that comes with them while capitalizing on their strength? Like I, I was been thinking about Rondo in a Clippers series. I think he'd be very important against them because of how they jam up our other guards. And like, can you hide Rondo on Patrick Beverly and then not get completely torched the way you would? Like, you can't really put Rondo on you know, not that Steph's going to make the playoffs, but like those scoring guards, like if he's got a big defensive responsibility, you really don't want to play Rondo, but can you hide him elsewhere? Right. No, so like, well, in the series against like Houston, bro. right? Like in a, right. like, okay. Yeah, Westbrook who and Harden, like, like who, where does he yes. play? Yes. Or even Eric Gordon, right? Like mm-hmm. in a three mm-hmm. guard will line up. Who are you guarding? Do you have to now put Rondo on like PJ Tucker? If you need what Rondo brings offensively to the table in the game at any given time, there are limitations to that. So part of what you're saying to me is to, or how I am, how I'm interpreting this is some of this is just going to come, come down to choices. And is Vogel going to choose right night to night to night in order to plug and play the right skill set when it's needed at the right time? And that's a, that's a real question that we just don't have answers to because we don't have the sample size. You know, I'm a little concerned about the shooting, and this kind of plays into the guard play discussion. Mike Trudell just tweeted out that the Lakers are 25th in the NBA right now, shooting 31.7%, and they're actually in the bottom half of the league in most range shots outside of five feet, but they're scoring so much at the rim, NBA best 70.9% on 32.4 attempts per game, that they're still fifth in the league in field goal percentage. Thank you to Mike for for that tweet. The shooting of this team... They're not going to shoot 31.7% on the year, but there are going to be times in the playoffs where certain guys are left alone. I'm talking Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, even Alex Caruso. You know, they'll, they'll defend Quinn Cook. Uh, they they may even cheat off of KCP because he's such a hot and cold type they of will. player. They they will cheat off of KCP, Pete. Right. So like, bro, they're. Gonna, I'm a little worried. Like when the pressure gets turned up, can these guys 
guards and otherwise, can they actually hit these shots? It's a real question, right? Like the flip side of that is, is that the types of shots that they're going to get are 2009 run Lakers championship shots, right? Like they're going to get the types of shots that Trevor Ariza got, that Lamar Odom got, that Shannon Brown got, right? During mm-hmm. that two-year period. Those are the types of, you you know, Derek yeah, No, Fisher, that's exactly right. right? They got to like, make those shots. Those, yeah. They don't have to do anything complicated. It doesn't have to be some like, come off of a stagger and knock this down while you've got someone locking trailing on your ass. Like, just make those open shots. That's right. And time's going to tell on that. I I definitely have the same concerns as you. My concerns, though, are amplified for this specific reason, though, is that the players who are supposed to be the Lakers' best shooters, the Quinn Cooks, the Troy Daniels, I'll leave out Danny Green from this because his role is pretty much set in stone and you can sort of work around whatever skill set limitations Green has, especially because he's so good defensively, is that those other guys, they actively take certain things off of the table that make them harder to play in scouting heavy playoff series right and Mm -hmm. so you can ball pressure these guys you can put them into certain situations defensively that start to play them off of the floor but they are potentially or or supposedly some of your most reliable shooters right and so the idea that these guys are going to like this idea that the lakers built this roster with like oh shooting around anthony davis and and lebron james well yes they did that right but some of these guys may not have a well-rounded enough skill set to be in the game in order to optimize this so-called shooting. Mm. And so then you start to rely on on some of your more well-rounded players or players whose skill sets in these other areas are really going to help you out. The thing that they're not as good at is the shooting. The Alex Caruso's, maybe on certain nights, the KCP, a Rajon Rondo, right? And If you have to rely on those guys to make shots, that's where it matters. If you were telling me, oh, well, Quinn Cook is going to get six open threes a game, I'd be like, okay, well, sign me up. But he's not, right? And part of the reasons why he won't be is because they're going to stick him in guard-to-guard pick and rolls, and they're going to get him switched on to someone. They're going to pick on his weaknesses. Yes, Yes. exactly. So maybe this is an absence makes the heart grow fonder type of thing, but Rondo's actually somebody I worry about the least in a playoff series in that I think a big component of it is, is mental. And I know Rondo is not going to shrink in the moment. He might not make shots, but I do think that like if he's left open, I think he will see less regression than other guys will, right? Because that's the nature of the playoffs is that you know, this guy who shot 33% from three, all of a sudden when the heat's turned up a little bit, the lights are a little brighter. Oh, he just shot 15% in this series. Like Rondo's <laughs> going to be close to his averages. He's been there before. He knows what he's doing. He's been the best player in a playoff series that had LeBron James in it. Now, all of what we've said about why we're concerned about him and all that, all that still applies. He's not always going to be the right guy to put out there, but he does serve a purpose on this team. And I think games like the Clippers and the Bulls both really illustrate that. Now, last point, 
you you brought up the wing defense being one of those things that can go either way and how it goes will be determinative on how the season ends up. Does LeBron's increased effectiveness on the defensive end address that at all? It does. It does. Um, He's been really good there. That said, when the playoffs come, the burden's going to be so heavy on both sides of the ball that it'd be silly to just dismiss that, right? Right. And and, and so, so I am super encouraged by what LeBron's showing in terms of, like, I still have it. Because there was a question of how much he could still channel that on a possession-to-possession basis. And, and through the first two weeks of the season, he's been playing at a tremendous level. If he even dialed it back a little bit, I'd be fine <laughs> just because he's showing me that he still has full games worth of defensive intensity in him, right? Which was a real question last year and even his last season in Cleveland when he was with the Cavs even in some of those those playoff series you just felt like well LeBron knows that he can get or create a bucket anytime he really wants to and he's just going to carry them right mm-hmm. now in a tougher conference and against more balanced opponents I'll be interested to see whether or not he can carry that same burden when the balance between how much he's needed on both sides of the ball is so high. That burden is exactly where I was going to go in that I think in most series, he will be able to be the defender that we see now. The places where it's going to be tough is when teams can ball pressure effectively. So like a Clippers series, LeBron was really tired on opening night in the second half because the other guards couldn't do anything. And LeBron had to, especially with how they were switching, which is what a lot of teams are doing with the Lakers, but play after play after play, LeBron had to be the one that handled that. And the more you have to ask him to do that, the less it's reasonable to be like, all right, now go defend Kawhi Leonard on the other end. Go defend Paul George on the other end, because you're a big wing with size that can match up with their ability to do that. So that is certainly going to be something like really Iguodala is the guy for me who swings a Lakers Clippers series or has the potential to for exactly that reason. He's going to have to absorb so many of those responsibilities LeBron is on the offensive end because of the Clippers ability to ball pressure that I don't think it's reasonable to ask LeBron to do that also at a high level on the defensive end. And if you do, you'll see some degradation to his offensive game. So If you have another guy there, like an Andre Iguodala, I think that more than any other point of the season, Lakers defense is going to be really good this year. It's better than I thought it was going to be. But come playoff time, that's going to be something that really uh, that really comes into play. So anyway, this was a fun episode, man. Thank you for uh, awesome chat. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA finals record.
A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Brian, yes, and that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.